any of you watch This Is Us? We're changing the mood here, aren't we? We've been so solemn and somber, and now I'm asking if you watch This Is Us. Any This Is Us fans? couple that are willing to admit that you're This Is Us fans, that's right. Well, if you've never watched This Is Us, let me give you some indication of uh, why I think it's a cool show. The, the writer of This Is Us has done a really cool thing on the show. They, they keep switching back and forth from things of the past to things of the present, right? So the stories of the past help us to understand the emotions and the actions of the present. So you have this very unique brand of triplets <laughs> who were raised uh, and, and has a, an impact uh, on the story. The, the way they were raised has an impact on the story of how they're now living. The story is not told, hear me, the story is not told in a straight line, but rather is accented with the weaving in of the past. You with me? Okay. See, more of you have watched it than you would willing to recognize. So the, the Bible does this a lot as well, right? Oftentimes in the story of Jesus, we see prophecies given centuries before come to fruition. And, and as we think about the crucifixion tonight, we can account for over 20 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the events leading up to the crucifixion. And each of them add to the power of the story that Matthew even read tonight. But as we've seen in this mini-series, and if you're just joining us tonight, we've taken a few weeks just to kind of stop in the middle of a regular series to see a mini-series that would lead up to Easter. In this mini-series, we not only get a view of the events of Easter from the past, but also from the future. Somebody's been listening. That's good. That's why I invite my wife. She always has the right answer. It's good. So listen, uh, so we, we, we've seen it from John's visions uh, that God is making all things new in Revelation. And, and we've been able to see that to add to the story of Easter. The Word of God does not tell the story in a straight line. Do you know that? But rather as a multi-dimensional diamond. From all different places, from the past, from the future, from the present... And each part adds to the whole. It helps us understand Tim Keller's thought that I keep repeating and that you might get a little tired of, but repetition is good for you all, right? His thought that, that the future reality of Jesus' return does not only give us hope for the future, but gives us hope, thank you, my wife is on it again, from the future, Right? I should hang out with her. She's smart, right? So listen, Tim Keller says, listen, that the future, the reality of Revelation not only gives us hope for the future, that somehow we have to sit and wait for that to happen, right? Like, oh, cool, that's, like, we win in the end. That's really good. But that by virtue of that reality, that future reality, we get hope from the future into our present day. So you come tonight going, like, does Revelation really have the crucifixion in it? Yeah, it does. It does. In fact, in having the crucifixion in it, it's going to add to, I believe, the reality of our understanding of the crucifixion tonight. You ready for that? Well, then turn to Revelation 5. 
If you have your Bibles tonight, they're actually in the pews again. That's good. Or electronic device, whatever you got. Uh, Revelation 5. We're going to actually work through it in chunks tonight, in sections, because uh, I don't want to. Uh, it has a great ending, right? And I don't want you to get to the ending until it's time, right? So we're going to go through it in, in some chunks. Here are the chunks that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the reality of despair, deliverance, and delight. Despair, deliverance, and delight. It's all there in Revelation chapter 5. As we approach verses 1 through 4, you need to understand that in Revelation 4, which is the chapter before Revelation 5... It's good. Some of you are still awake. Uh, You see the brilliance of the throne room of heaven with God sitting on the throne. It's an amazing picture. You should go home and read it. It's phenomenal. But as we come to Revelation 5, it is as if John is getting his bearings in the brilliance of that picture. And he can peer in closer. And I want you to see what holds his attention in verses 1 through 4. Then I saw, he says, in the right hand of him who is God, who was seated on the throne. What? A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Wait, it says a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now what in the world is this scroll? Good question, right? You can read 18 commentaries and get about 18 different opinions about what it is like most things in Revelation. But I I like to use the Bible for us to help us understand the Bible, right? That's a a good teaching moment, right? We want to use the scriptures to understand the scriptures. So there are actually three prophecies, three prophets that talk about a similar scroll. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 32 um, Ezekiel and Ezekiel 2 and 3, and, and Daniel and Daniel 12. I'm not going to cover all of those. I picked my favorite because I get the microphone. So we're going to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. You don't need to turn there. Uh, you might want to check it out later to make sure I'm telling the truth. But it, this is the story that you'll find in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah is prophesying about the destruction of Israel. Jeremiah had a bad job, right? God says, listen, I want you to deliver all the bad news. Like, Israel's going to be taken over. They're done. They've been sinners. They've been horrible. And I'm going to destroy them. That was his job. So he's doing his job. But here in 32, he's doing something that seems odd in the midst of saying that Israel is no longer going to be Israel. He's buying up land. Now, some of you have been 
told before at vulnerable moments that there was some good land in Florida, right? When it was really marsh land and, and, and you know, you were kind of onto it. I, I'm, I'm kind to any scammer. I, I'll talk to him on the phone. It's good. Deneen gets mad at me. But the reality is, is listen, th- this isn't a scam. This isn't Jeremiah falling, falling for some trick. Listen, Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's a prophet of God and, and he is buying land in the midst of prophesying that this land is no longer going to exist in the hands of Israel. That just seems strange. Well, it tells us in Jeremiah 32 that the deed to this property that he's buying needs to be sealed and placed in a vessel that would keep it for a very long time. And then Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts. So he's hearing from God. Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So Jeremiah, catch this, in essence says, I know I will never see it, but I also know a day is coming that someone will. And this land will be found to be in my name. A scroll, hidden for a time but has the declaration of restoration. Hear that? Because the scroll of Revelation 5 is similar but grander. This scroll in the hand of God recognizes that we all lost something in Genesis chapter 3. We have been kicked out due to our sin, due to our failures. The reality of sin has kicked us out of our land, out of the garden. Oh, but God has a plan to restore it. You see, he has purchased the land on our behalf, and we will go back. And that agreement, guess where it's at? On a scroll, sealed seven times. And as we come to Revelation chapter 5, we see it. John sees it. It's in the hand of God. Listen, all of creation throughout all of history, even the angels in the heavens, has waited for this scroll to be opened ever since Genesis 3. It is the point that death is no more. It is the point that evil ceases. It is the point that sin no longer has us in bondage and the devil no longer has any authority. That sounds like a good day, doesn't it? Have you ever waited a very long time for something? Some of you are catching on, right? Have you ever waited a very, well, maybe you're here tonight and you are still waiting. Well, all of creation, all of creation has longed for this moment. A moment when the deed to the garden is opened and realized. Oh, feel the anticipation that John is caught up in as he is in this moment. And in that moment, an angel appears and he cries out, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? We see the scroll is in the hand of God, but who can open it? Who can pay for the sin that has thrown us out of the garden? And we all move to the edge of our seats 
And at this question, as it is asked, there is nothing. There's silence. The thing that we have waited so long for, the thing that we are at the very edge of seeing as a reality, the thing that we only need one who is worthy to open it, and apparently there is none. And when no one answers the call to open this scroll, to enact the victory of the one who sits on the throne, John goes into despair. Ever known somebody that cries loudly? Bob and I were witnesses to this tonight. Our sister cries loudly. Don't go to a sad movie with her. She sits in the seat and slobbers. and <laughs> All of these horrible sounds come out as she cries. You, you may know someone who cries loudly. If you have that person in your mind, in your ears tonight, picture John, right? In this despair. It doesn't say he weeps. It says he, he weeps loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Have you been in despair? Probably all of us have had some kind of desperation, a place of loss, a place of brokenness, a place of disappointment, maybe even a place of hopelessness. And you might feel some of John's angst of his despair in these moments. John feels this. He feels the pain of his own exile, of his own persecution. He feels the pain of the church that he writes this revelation for, a pain of deadly punishment for believing in Jesus. He, he feels circumstantial brokenness, but I think he also feels the pain, the moan, of all creation as we wait for someone to save us from eternal hell. Great and ancient theologian W.A. Criswell writes this very long quote, so I apologize for the long quote. The end of it is on the screen. He says this, these represent, the tears of John represent the tears of all God's people through all the centuries. These tears of the Apostle John are the tears of Adam and Eve driven out of the Garden of Eden as they bowed over the first grave, as they watered the dust of the ground with their tears over the silent still form of their son, Abel. Those are the tears of the children of Israel in bondage as they cried unto God in their affliction and slavery. They are the tears of God's elect through the centuries as they've cried unto heaven. They are the sobs and the tears that have been wrung from the heart and soul of God's people as they looked on their silent dead, as they stand beside their open graves, as the experience and the trials and the sufferings of life, heartaches and disappointments, indescribable. Such is the curse that sin has laid on God's beautiful creation. 
And this is the damnation of the hand of him who holds it. That usurper, that interloper, that intruder, that alien, that stranger, that dragon, that serpent, that Satan devil. And John wept audibly for the failure to find a redeemer. Because it meant that this earth and its curse is consigned forever to death. It meant that death and sin and damnation and hell should reign forever and ever. And the sovereignty of God's earth should remain forever in the hands of Satan. You know, so often, because we know that Sunday is coming, because we know the reality of the resurrection, we forget the weight of where we stand as God's people at the crucifixion. We don't get the depth of Jesus' words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is a hint, these tears of John. John waits and despairs at the threat of hell forever. And hear me, so should we. So hopeless that we can do nothing but sob. But we're not left there. John is not left there. There is good news in Revelation 5. Over top of John's sobbing comes a voice of hope. Can you hear it? Here comes Good Friday. In Revelation 5, it's deliverance, verses 5 through 7. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Would you give me a moment and look at somebody tonight and say, weep no more. I mean it. One of the elders says to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a marvel character. Spider-Man, Superman, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Oh, hear the voice of the elder weep. No more. Look at something tonight. Hear the hope of deliverance. It is not simply the message. Listen, he doesn't say, hey, toughen up. Quit crying. He doesn't even say, man, if you'd only behave better, even if you were just more holy. He says, weep no more. Because the one who will open the scroll, he's here. And who is he? 
For he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Old Testament images of the coming of the Messiah. The one who has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He is the one who can reverse the curse. I like that. I want to make a bumper sticker, right? He is the one who can reverse the curse, who can restore us to Eden, who can restore paradise, who delivers us from despair. But listen, how does he appear? The white knight in shining armor coming to save us? No. He is a lamb. It's not what we expected. In fact, the Greek here is that it is a little lamb. Even more, it is a lamb that has been slain. A lamb that has been killed. You get this, right? It, it is the image of the Passover lamb who was killed so that the blood from its veins and arteries might be spread over the doorposts and death would pass by. It is the lamb that was killed as a sacrifice for the sins of Israel. And it is all a foreshadowing of the death of Christ, the lamb of God, whose blood has been shed for the forgiveness of our sins. This slain lamb is Jesus. It is Jesus crucified. But get this. He's standing. <laughs> That's a crazy image. A lamb who has been killed standing. But it is evidence that Jesus this one who has been slain for our sins has conquered death. That he's alive. That's exactly why in verse 7 he is able to take the scroll. MacArthur, John MacArthur says this, that moment is the most significant moment yet in human history. The moment when Jesus Christ takes the little scroll and begins to inaugurate the recovery of the lost universe, lost to sin, Satan, death, and hell. He came and he won. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated demons. He defeated sin. He defeated hell. The lamb is up to the tax because the lamb is a lion. And the lamb is the king of kings. I'm not sure I, we get the full force of this. Pretty sure we don't. But it is the amazing good news that we do not have to face the consequences of our sin. We don't have to despair. Even more is evidence that everything, everything is firmly in the hands of the deliverer. Did you see the seven horns on this guy? Horns being power and seven being completeness. Did you see the seven eyes? Eyes being omnipresent, being able to see in every direction, just like my mother. And my wife. Right? All seeing. And seven being completeness. There is nothing. Hear it. There is nothing that this lamb slain standing does not see, nor that he does not have complete power over. This lamb reigns in victory over all things. Name it. The very thing that has you destitute, maybe even despairing tonight, the very thing that has you anxious, the very thing that has you captive, the reality of a virus, the reality of disease, the reality of death itself, no, this lamb, slain, standing, sees it all, knows it all, 
and has conquered all. He is making all things new. Do you know that lamb? Do you know that deliverer? For he has taken the scroll and he's about to open it. And it means judgment is coming on evil. And yet those for whom the lamb has been slain, they will be delivered. It is Good Friday in Revelation. An image that we don't simply hope for. Hear me? But an image that we gain hope from where we sit today. From despair to delivered. And people of God, in this there shall be great delight. (laughs) I can't help but think that John's sobbing turns to tears of joy. And so should ours. Check out the rest of this chapter. Back to the text, verse 8. And when this lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering, I don't know, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And as if that wasn't enough, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them in case you forgot something, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders, they fell down and worshiped. Now that, my friends, is a glorious day. (laughs) Here's what I would suggest. It is a day that began at the crucifixion, and it will continue till the day of Jesus' return. It is a light, get this, it is a light that hits the multi-dimensional diamond of God's truth the cross and then continues to shine in all kinds of ways into our lives and the next generation's lives and the generation after that until indeed Jesus returns, which means that tonight we can immerse ourselves not only in the hope of what we wait for, but that we might receive hope from this moment for today. Everything we've been waiting for is coming to pass. And get this, listen, we can join the chorus We join the four living creatures and the 24 elders who fell on their faces as they took harps. And harps is a a biblical term and understanding for prophecy. So all of the Old Testament prophecy, everything that is pointed to that moment, they take all of that up. And they take bowls of incense, the prayers of the saints, your prayers, yes, you are saints, your prayers, our prayers, of that every time we said, come Lord Jesus, come. You prayed that prayer? Yeah, those prayers... All of those prayers, these four living creatures, these 24 elders take all of that up 
and they sing a new song. Not a song of despair, but a song of deliverance. They say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on all the earth. <laughs> and then the angels join. I love this. It's like somebody, it's like a flash mob. That just came to me, right? It's a flash mob, right? Four living creatures, 24 elders, little choir up here singing, woohoo, worthy. And then comes myriads of myriads. You know why John uses myriads of myriads? Because he has no idea how many angels there were. They're like, like number one, I don't want to count them. Number two, I can't count them. But there's a lot of them. Warrior angels who join in the chorus. Some of them couldn't even sing. But they said, worthy is the lamb, get this, who was slain. A lamb who was slain is being praised by the angels to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then John just couldn't contain himself because all of creation, like he could see everything. All of creation, no longer groaning. They delight in the Lord. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And don't miss the amen, you good Presbyterians. By the four living creatures. The guys who started this worship fest, they still remain bound. They bow, bowed. They still have their faces to the ground. But they say, amen. So please, so be it. It's almost reminiscent of Christ on the cross when he says what? It is finished. <laughs> the time has come. It is a glorious day. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming tonight. Because we get invited to this table to participate in that worship fest. Together, tonight, we move from a song of despair to a song of deliverance. A new song of delight. And we join the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the myriad of angels and all creation in a song that is already in progress. I, I often think about John, when he returned to Patmos after the vision of Revelation, so he's kind of taken up into the heavens, and he has this grand vision, and then the vision ends, and he goes, and he's just kind of dropped back on Patmos. Like he's still on this island, desolate, to fend for himself, being punished for the reality of his belief in Jesus. I mean, he was a dude before it, but would not this vision of the future change everything for him? Wouldn't Revelation 5 give him a new and unique perspective to that day when he stood at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus? Or even when he sat at the table next to Jesus and heard him say, this is my body, broken for you. 
my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Wouldn't John now see the lamb that was slain and standing, taking the scroll and know that it was in this moment that he was restoring everything, making all things new, shining a light into that diamond that would change everything. And shouldn't we? (laughs) Shouldn't we tonight see it differently? This table is not a vaccine for a virus. This table is not a cure for a deadly disease. We are not sick in needing of some help. We are dead, says the scriptures, in our sins and transgressions. We are in a place of despair. And this table, (laughs) it is hope for our hopelessness. It is a deliverance for our despair. It is heaven in place of hell. It changes everything. Right now, it is a glorious moment. In a glorious day, we no longer sing a song of despair. Tonight, we sing a song of deliverance, a new song of delight.